0: Well, this morning we're going to go back to Exodus chapter 20, so if you want to turn in your Bibles to Exodus 20, I started last uh, month on the Decalogue, another name for the Ten Commandments, and uh, we're going to tackle this second one. You might think it's not relevant to us, but I, uh, I hope that the time we're through here that it has more relevance than what you think. You know, that's like the Bible, isn't it? We, we might think we're reading something that's not really relevant to us. All of a sudden we realize it's hitting something right on the nail that we deal with. A lot of discussion about the Ten Commandments, the, uh, and, and Decalogue is a short way of saying Ten Commandments, those ten words that God gave the people of Israel. I mentioned last Sunday that the first four commandments deal with God's relationship with His covenant people, And the first three are prohibitive. They're in the, the, you shall not do such a thing. And then the last one of the four is the Sabbath. And if I'm not mistaken, the two commandments that are positive is that one and honor your father and mother. But the other eight has to do with don't do this and don't get involved in this. But we're going to look at that second one and I've titled this the Decalogue image problem. And uh, thanks to Tim Allen, he did a pretty good uh, visual for me there. I love that. I could just sit there and play that again and again, just like, oh, boy, isn't that how cool he did that? But image problem, and we do have an image problem. Not, not what you think of right off the bat. I remember uh, a, a tennis star used to, have a, used to do a commercial for a camera and it says, image is everything. Uh, Andre Agassi, I think, really believed that. So... I, you probably, somebody don't even know who I'm talking about. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. Um, but this one has to do with images, and I'm going to take you, and and I think it has more relevance to us than what we would look at just reading. But let's look a little closer at this. Exodus 20, I'm going to start with verse 4. Besides, um, as you read this and you look at it in your Bible, sometimes the indentation of this of the commandments, you can see exactly where they're at. And if you look at, Number 2 and number 4, you'll see a, a larger definition of those two commandments. The 10th commandment is the one that has a little bit more of a, a, a definition to it. But number 2 and number 4, so we're going to read these three verses starting with verse 4. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, if you have a handout, a bulletin, uh, there's some sub points on there. They're going to be up on the screen as well. But this first uh, point, I had a little trouble deciding what to put there. I wanted uh, Kirby Riles to send me the, the uh, writing in Russian of Nitnada. nada. Uh, because I just remember those two words, "Nit, nada. This, uh, when Kelly and I were out in a, a courtyard there in Moscow, this lady kept coming over and trying to sell us, I don't know, it was a vacation package, and she would just talk to us in Russian. like We are just staring at her. And uh, finally, I would say something like, I, I said, well, I'm going to say this to her. Do you know where Oklahoma is? And she looked at me, and I turned around and walked away. But she kept coming back, and I told uh, Sheila Rouse, I said, this lady is like, won't give up about selling me something. She, and, and I say a nit, which is, no, it says, well, you tell her nit nada. I said, I got it. And here she come. And she got up to me, and, and she started, and I said, nit nada. And she let me, Ni nada nah. <laughs> she, I guess you mocked my southern version of that. But it, I said, what is that? It says, absolutely nothing. And that's what I want to try to emphasize on this first thing when he says, you shall not make for yourself an image. And he gives this long description, this prohibition, the breadth of it, about what? Nothing uh, related to things in the heavens, That includes the atmosphere uh, like this the constellations the Sun the moon the stars nothing on earth nothing under the earth or anything in the waters in fact he's he's saying I don't want you making an image of anything a no thing commandment I'm giving you here now we're in the digital age uh, we're in an age where you can take a photograph of something and in seconds People around the world can see it, almost like in real time. You can do real time also through the digital world. You know, the live feed, which I really enjoy seeing those. Uh, But we're in this digital age in photography, and before photography took place in the 1800s, and I did a little research on this, that the first aerial photo that has survived was taken in 1860 by a man in a hot air balloon over the city of Boston. You can look this up. And it was an aerial uh, photo of Boston. It was in 1860. So the development of cameras was already kind of going pretty strong there. You see a lot of pictures of Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War era. But I'm going to throw out a little trivia for you this morning. Who do you think the first president that was photographed? And you can think about that. We know that Lincoln was photographed. But this is a really neat trivia now. uh, There's a little caveat here. He was no longer president when he was photographed. But the first president, known president, to be photographed was John Quincy Adams. Now, we don't think that photography kind of was in that era. But before photography, the way people would remember someone was an artist would paint an oil painting of them. And, the, and this thing about a skilled craftsman shaping something, sculpturing something, carving something out, when you look at the word image or idol, it's pesel which comes out of a verb meaning to carve or to uh, chisel away. So it's, he's talking about the people who take their hands and make an object and deify that object because of what it represents. It represents something powerful. And he says, you are absolutely not to do this. Now, this is the original declaration of the Ten Commandments in in Exodus 20. I want to take you over to Deuteronomy 4, which is the repeat of these commandments. And Moses expands on them. Now, it's in chapter 5, but I want to take you to chapter 4 because I think it really clarifies why why God was so adamant about this. And I'm going to read a little bit more here than I normally do. So uh, this is Deuteronomy chapter 4. So just bear with me here. We're going to uh, pick it up in verse 1. How's that? Why don't we just start from verse 1? Hear now, O Israel, the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you. "'Do not add to what I command you "'and do not subtract from it, "'but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. "'You saw with your own eyes "'what the Lord did at Baal Peor. "'The Lord your God destroyed from among you "'everyone who followed the Baal Peor.'" This was uh, an idolatrous system of worship. "'But all of you who held fast to the Lord your God "'are still alive today. "'See, I have taught you decrees and laws, as the Lord my God commanded, you, commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. God's always looking to be a witness to people outside His covenant people. Still today, right? What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord, our God, is near us whenever we pray to Him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words, so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You came near and you stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens. With black clouds and deep darkness, Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. And this is important that you notice this especially. You saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow and then wrote them on two stone tablets. And the Lord directed me at that time to teach you the decrees and laws you are to follow in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You saw no form. He, he goes back to that. You saw no form. In other words, you didn't see a visible form of God. You saw no form of any kind that day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully so that you do not become corrupt by making for yourselves an idol. This goes back to the second commandment. Watch as you, you do not make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape. And listen to the elaboration here. Of any shape, whether formed like a man or a woman, or like any animal on earth, or any bird that flies in the air, or like any creature that moves along the ground, or any fish in the waters below. And when you look up to the sky and you see the sun, the moon, the stars, all the heavenly array, do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshiping them... And, and, and worshiping things, the Lord your God is apportioned to all the nations under heaven. But as for you, the Lord took you, brought you out of the iron smelting furnace, out of Egypt, to be the people of his inheritance, so you, so you now are. The Lord was angry with me because of you. I guess he's blaming his mistake on them. Uh, he solemnly swore that I would not cross the Jordan and enter the good land the Lord your God has given you as your inheritance. I will die in this land. I will not cross the Jordan. But you are about to cross over and take possession of that good land. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. Don't you think that he's emphasizing that a little bit more than one statement? He's talking about the Ten Commandments. Hey Andrew, how you doing? Okay, just wait. Just I'll give you the note. Okay, you be quiet now. My friend Andrew, but I'm glad you're here, Andrew. Yeah. Carolyn didn't come with you. No, she sent her apologies but she really didn't feel up to it. Okay, it's okay. This he and I are good friends. We we communicate this way. Thank you, Andrew. I'll give you my notes. How's that? All right. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. And here again, he says, a jealous God. After you had children and grandchildren have lived in the land a long time, if you then become corrupt and make... Here he goes again. Listen to this. You become corrupt and make any kind of idol, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God and provoking him to anger. I, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you this day that you will quickly perish from the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, you will not live there long, but will certainly be destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. There you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, You will find him if you look for him with all your heart, with all your soul, when you are in distress and all these things that have happened to you. Then in later days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. For the Lord your God, can you say amen, is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your forefathers, which he confirmed to them by oath. Now, I read a lot of that because he goes back and on the second go around, you see, why do you think Moses is making such a big point of this? Don't make images of anything because they were going into a Canaanite culture of gods that were everything that you could think of was made into an idol and they worshiped that. And he says, you're heading into a land that you're going to see all of this and it's going it's to maybe appeal to you. And I think there is something about The physical world does appeal to us. remember how the enemy tempted Eve? All he got her and Adam to do was what? Look at the tree that God told them not to look at. And it says when they made that kind of look, something happened to them. The appeal of the physical world, what that could do, that fruit could do for them, also appealed to their pride that they would be elevated higher than what they were. And so this is why he's saying be careful that you don't gravitate to adopting worship uh, practices of the people that you're going into because God has no form, don't make anything that you think is like him because you can't make anything like him because he does not have form. And he emphasized that. You heard a voice, you saw smoke, you saw fire, you heard thunder, you saw lightning, you saw a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, but that was just things that God let you to see so that he could direct your steps. And he said to them, you shall not bow down and worship them. Honor is all about worship. This is the main point. It's what I talked about last Sunday about worship. If some, it's not if someone's going to worship. It's what we worship. What will we worship or who will we worship? And bowing down is this sense of... a." saying you're submissive to whatever you're bowing down to or whoever you're bowing down to, but you also are saying that the one you're bowing down to has authority and control of you. The one thing that Nebuchadnezzar wanted people to do when the music struck, he had this giant statue of himself, and he said when the music plays, everybody is required to what? Fall down, bow down, and worship that statue. Now, we know from Daniel's account that the three men that was refusing to bow down. It wasn't because I don't think they had no concern about being burned alive in that furnace. But this is the way I think they saw it, and I believe you can get this from what their reply was. They told him that they only worshipped one entity, and it was their covenant God. For them to make a compromise there was really to declare that God was not sovereign, that they looked to Nebuchadnezzar as sovereign. Let's just go back to verse 5 in Exodus 20. And I'm going to keep referring back to Exodus 4 through 6. He said, you shall not bow down to them or worship them. In other words, do not give yourself to something else other to God. That's why I love the words of that last song. I belong belong with you, Lord. And I really think we belong, right, as the covenant people. And then he says this in the following words. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, what do you think that means? Well, jealous. When you think of something or someone that's jealous, is it more of a negative connotation? Now, think about it. When we say, oh, they're just a jealous person. And the way we use it is like this. We feel a little bit, uh, you know, Challenged by someone drawing someone's affection away. We're a little suspicious. There's a negative connotation. We feel threatened Someone who's jealous distrusts the person that they're like well, you know, I think they're gonna draw The affection they have for me away from me, right? Am I right on jealous? So could that apply to God? No, no (laughs) You're learning It does not apply... You know, the the good thing I like about Andrew, if I ask a question, he's going to answer the question. But it couldn't be that. Does God feel threatened by an idol? No. So what does that jealous mean? This is the word in the Hebrew is "qanah," and this particular form of it is only used toward God. And God says this about himself. That really... Is interesting, isn't it? Here's what I think, and this is the sub-point that's on your list. God's passion. God's passionate about His people. That's the jealousy of God. God wants to be with you more than you want to be with Him. And He is passionate about His people. This is why He's saying all this. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. We read this all through in Deuteronomy 4 that he wants their attention on him, not on stuff. Jealousy is usually a distrust in our realm of thinking, but with God, it's this passion. He's passionate about us. I can tell you this. He's, he's in more pursuit of people than people are of him. When Alicia Chloe talks about her salvation, she was sitting there, and I remember saying the words that the reality that she, she that came to her, that while she didn't have any care about God or pursuing God, she realized he was in pursuit of her. Even though she was an atheist and she disclaimed all of that, sitting there, she realized that God was in pursuit of her. God is passionate about his people. We see people as passionate about some things and there are people passionate in this city about things, right? They can be passionate for a hobby, for their work, their children, sustaining a relationship. But I'm telling you, it doesn't even hold a candle to the passion of God. He said, I am a jealous God. I love you. I don't want to share you. This is what he said. I don't want to share you with anything else. I want you to be wholly belonging to me. That wonderful song, I belong, I belong with you. There is; Those are his words, too, to us. We belong with him. And isn't he our God? It's kind of, it's, I am the Lord, your God. And in Deuteronomy, this is the way he explains that. I delivered you from slavery. I led you out of Egypt. I fed you food when you was hungry. I gave you water to drink when you was thirsty. You belong to me you do not belong to some carved out deity that cannot see or hear smell or taste he says why would you go to something that you in isaiah jeremiah 1 kind of makes fun of people who are idol worshippers that you have to carry your little god from one place to another because they can't carry themselves but you expect them to carry you and the whole point he's making is that this culture of idolatry they were going into, he says, this is a dangerous thing. Even though you may conquer them, you may see some of the things you may be attracted to because we are attracted by the physical. We are attracted by the physical. But when God is that passionate about us, and in fact, the passion of God for us is in the cross, right? That he loved us so much that he, died, he sent his son to die on a cross for us. And God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And in that passionate pursuit of God, there's two different responses and two different consequences. Let me take you back to Exodus chapter 20. Judgment, God's judgment. Punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Now, why would children suffer for the sins of their parents? Maybe a better question is, do children suffer for the sin of their parents? The Lord makes that distinction. If you, he says, if you as parents go away from me and and teachers and principals and social workers and everybody that deals with the the development of children and and the seriousness of what's going on with children will tell you that most of the time the problem is not with the child. It's not with the child. They get them Monday through Friday. But what they get Monday through Friday is really the consequence of what happens every evening and the weekends. And this is what he's saying. It's not like God is saying, I'm going to make the children suffer for what the parents sin." But he said the consequences of them doing that is going to go to the third and fourth generation. Now, listen, in any point in time, just because parents have not been very functional in their parenting and, and normal in their parenting, God can still rescue anybody. And he's done that. People who've had absolute chaos in their families, suddenly as they get to be teenagers, they discover Jesus. And the whole new world of hope and life and peace and joy is opened up to them. But God makes a distinction between rejecting him or hating him. He says, this is kind of like hating me. But look at the next verse, and this is God's favor. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Good luck with Ancestry.com charting that family tree. But showing love to a thousand generations. Why do you think God used that kind of term, thousand generation? Did did he actually mean thousand generation or is he making a point? He's making a point. What is he showing? He's showing that if people think sin leaves an effect, let me tell you, it's only third or fourth generation down the line. But let me tell you what grace does. Let me tell you what serving God does. Let me tell you what having a right mindset about your home life and about praying and reading God's word and loving him and worshiping him. He says, you can't chart the effect of that. This is really what he said. You can't really show it in terms of generations. He says, a thousand generations can really draw from what's happened with one generation that seeks God. And he says, here's the two things in that last part. Those who love me, and keep my commandments. Those who obey my commandments, but he doesn't mean obey his commandments out of a a sense of uh, obligation. Or I have to obey God in order to get the blessing. He's talking about obedience that comes out of loving God. Now, I will tell you, some of the people I run into, they're angry at God. They're absolutely... And they can be vulgar, in their description of how they feel about God. And I'm, I don't ever argue with them because I realize that whatever relationship they had with God was not based on love. It must have been based on manipulation. And people want to make deals with God. This happens all the time. God, if you'll let me get that job, I'll or i If this works out for me, I'll... And those are not declarations of love. Declarations of love is is if I get it or don't get the job, I'm still going to serve you. And when people get mad, and they're mad, they're angry. I ran across some this this past week, and I just let him go and share share the, the toxic in his soul. And I knew that it wasn't God that failed him. It was situations that he had put his confidence in that failed him. God never fails. But it's really scary when our relationship with God begins to be a deal. And we tell God we will really do something if he will really do something. If he will heal me or if he does this, he gives me this breakthrough, then this is what I'm going to do with it. And that's not what he's talking about here. What we do get here is that we get this sense that God wants to pour out favor upon those who love him all the way to a thousand generations if the praise team can come back up. One of the great characters in songwriting is Rich Mullins. And his most famous song is what? Awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above. I like those, that first verse. When he rolls up his sleeve, he's not just putting on the ritz. Our God is an awesome God. There's thunder in his footsteps and lightning in his fists. Our God is an awesome God. The Lord wasn't joking when he cast him out of Eden, when he kicked him out of Eden. It wasn't for no reason that he shed his blood His return is very close so you better be believing that our God is an awesome God and I believe I can just do a little bit of editing here our God is a jealous God (laughs) meaning this I think he is so eager for us to be with him in his presence we long for that day when everything will culminate our loved ones our parents, people that we treasure, people we miss on a regular basis, and we long for that. I just believe God wants to tell you He's longing more. He's more passionate for you than you you and I could ever be for Him. Would you stand with me this morning? But I believe there's things that people are dealing with. It's kind of like, what brad said in toward the end of our worship that there's decisions that need to be made and there's people that kind of like in limbo and you're trying to figure out which way to go that going this way is going to keep you from being able to hang out with certain people i want to tell you there's not a better person to hang out with than jesus lord i pray this morning for those who are struggling in their walk and There's attractions of this world that's pulling at them. It could be the attractions that appeals to their eyes or to their pride or to their sense of belonging. Our greatest belonging, Lord, is with you. May today there be some in this room that will come to a decision just like you asked the people that day under the the sound of Moses' voice to decide that they will follow the Lord and they will not embrace the culture that they were about to go into. Some here have embraced, to some degree, a culture that's not of you. But you're passionately calling us to renew our covenant. The greatest fellowship Lord, we can have is the koinonia with you, the fellowship with you, the being with you, the worshiping you, the loving you and serving you and turning away from the things that beg for our worship, beg for our adherence. May today, Lord, those who are in a state of limbo, so to speak, they don't know which way to go, Holy Spirit, would you prompt them today to make that decision to follow you, Lord, with everything, to abandon all the attractions around them, to say, I'm yours, Lord. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll be what you want me to be. And if that is you, I want you to just come and stand before him and say, you're it, Lord. You're all for me. And I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm all in, Lord. Thank you, Lord.